Well, do me a favor, track down a Bible if you can, and get with me to James chapter 1, and get your device out if you need to, or uh, get that hard copy out if you've got one, but let's get to James chapter 1. We've been doing a series where we're allowing Pastor James to speak to the situation that we find ourselves in, and it has been helpful for me. I hope it's been helpful for you as well. Uh, So I'm going to read the three verses that we're looking at today, and then I'm going to pray and get right to work. James chapter 1, verses 19 and following, it says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Let's pray. Lord, we ask right now that by your spirit, you would speak to each of us. We pray that whether we're physically present in here or inside today or we're online, we're asking God that you would take this word and bring it to life for us. Make us hear your voice loud and clear. Help us to be your people. Help us to walk by faith in the Son of God. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. All right, take note. What James is saying is listen up. This is important stuff, so take note of this. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. He's saying there is a way that we ought to be communicating as believers. This is something that is a, there's an oughtness to it. We ought to do this. We should do this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. He's saying, Christians, brothers and sisters, Listen up. This is what we're supposed to be about. The way that we communicate has this opportunity to reflect something of the character of God. So everyone ought to be doing this. Everyone should be doing this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Sean, uh, he's here today. When, When we were younger, he used to say this all the time. It was kind of a, a proverb, if you will. And he would say, There's a reason why God gave us two eyes, two ears, and only one mouth, right? God has designed us so that we shouldn't feel this need to always be speaking. And the way that we communicate actually ought to reflect something of God's character. We need to have this careful communication. That's what he's encouraging us to do. So when I do premarital counseling, I sit down with couples and I do a few different exercises every time. It doesn't matter which couple it is or what their story is. I always get to these ones because they deal with communication and conflict resolution. So I get the couple in front of me and I'm asking them to create a wish list. Um, This is from the prepare and rich stuff, but uh, it's a wish list. So you write down kind of the things that you wish were different in your relationship and how it would make you feel. And then you have them share that with each other. And, um, Couples that come in uh, that are just uh, madly in love, and they're like, I love everything about her. I love everything about him. Every new thing that I learn, I love. And I'm like, well, I'm here to help. Um, Bring you back to reality. But I get them working on this wish list thing, and usually I press them. Because I'm not looking for the, the little easy ones. I keep telling them, No, try to think of the thing that frustrates you. Try to think of the thing that irritates you. Try to think maybe of the last disagreement that you had. 
and let that kind of populate your wish list item. And then I have them communicate in front of me and I just point stuff out. And here's what is, I guess I can't say surprising anymore because I see it every single time. Here's something that's just shocking. When people communicate to each other and if it is an emotional subject, they don't listen that you're watching them communicate and you're saying, okay, I'm literally telling you what to do right now. You're going to talk to him and he's going to listen and he's going to say it back. And you watch it unfold and you realize he's not even tracking with this conversation. He's already thinking of how he's going to justify himself. He's thinking of his perfect rebuttal. And that's how he's occupying his thoughts. He's not really listening anymore. Couples who are madly in love, about to get married, aren't good at communicating. Couples who have this cherished relationship and they're saying we're going to stand in front of family and friends and we're going to covenant before God and we're going to we're going to enter into this marriage and they're they're saying I love this person but when they start communicating about something that's emotional that maybe they disagree on the communication breaks down they're not good at listening they're not good at being slow to anger they're quick to speak they're quick to share their side of the story now this is true in people who are going to get married, now think about how that affects other areas of life then. What do, you, what do you think we do in our workplace when we're in conflict? Do you think that we get better at it magically? What about in the, in the realm of things that people are prone to disagree on? Think about how people dialogue around politics. We, we do the, here's what we're doing. We're inverting what God is telling us to do. We're doing it the exact opposite. We're quick to become angry. We know if they don't agree with us right out of the gate, they're wrong. And we're angered by that. And so we're quick to speak. We're very slow to listen. We don't really care if there's something else that they have to share. We're not willing to hear that. So we need to be careful because this is telling us this is what Christians ought to be about. Communicating in a careful way that actually reveals the character of God. So we need to be careful of how we're doing this then. I think right now in our society, it's a very divided moment. And I, I just want to be careful, and I'm just trying to say this publicly. I don't think that it's right for any of us, if we're, if we're believers, or even if you're not, I don't think it's right for any of us to look at a, a portion of the population and just out of hand say, they're wrong, they're bad, right? So depending on kind of where you land, you might look at Trump supporters and just have this tendency in you to be like, oh, they anger me. They're all bad people or liberals. And you say all liberals are, and, and here's what I'm saying. My understanding of Christianity doesn't give me that liberty. I can't look at people and say out of hand, they're entirely wrong and they're bad, which is what, what happens in us when we disagree. When we allow this communication strategy to break down, we begin to look at other people and say, they are wrong. I've been reading this book recently because I'm so fascinated by the divide in our nation right now. I've been reading a book by Jonathan Hayden. It's called uh, The Righteous Mind. And he's talking about how people come to their conclusions about politics and morality and spirituality. And it's an excellent book, but I, I would just say you probably don't even need to read it. Here's, here's a, a way forward. James is giving it to us. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. When you're dealing with somebody who's different from you, practice those things. Communicate in that way. You, you will actually 
create a more beautiful world if you will onboard this stuff. This will be a, a better place to live if we learn how to communicate in this way, listening, being careful with our words and being careful with our emotions. So let's just apply this real quick. I think we need to be people who are, who are good listeners. I think, the gospel, I think Christianity allows us and actually inspires us to be great listeners. When you're talking to somebody, don't race off and think of how you're going to respond to them. What you should be thinking about is, what do I not know? What am I missing here? What, what is the language of their heart? Meaning, what are the things that are kind of driving them, the things that are making them passionate, the things that they, that they deeply care about? I want to understand that because they're made in the image of God and they deserve my dignity. They, they have dignity. They deserve my respect. They, they deserve my civility. So I need to be listening. I need to be gospel listening, asking questions about the nature of their heart so that you can meet them there and help them to see that in Christ, some of those desires are, are most satisfied in him are ultimately satisfied in him. So let's become better listeners. Secondly, let's be careful with how we talk. Let's use restraint in our speech. Instead of quickly offering an opinion or posting or sharing a link, let's be careful with our communication. Let's use restraint. I did this uh, really over the past few months. This has been such a hard moment in the life of our church and in the life of our nation, the life of our world. And there were lots of times where I felt like I could speak into the subject matter and I was creating podcasts and, and little meditations to put on YouTube and things like that. And here's what I, as I'm praying about it and realizing this is going to cause problems. Like I know my voice has to be lent to the discussion, but if I just quickly always just kind of look at what's happening in the world and try to give my hot take of it, I might not be doing good there. I actually might be doing harm. So I prayed about it and said, I'm going to be careful here. I'm going to use restraint. I'm not going to post some of these things because I feel that God is calling me to play the long game. I don't want to burn up relational capital right now if I can pastor a people for a long haul and see a, a greater amount of good and a greater amount of change happen than if every time something happens in our world, I feel the need to comment on it. And that just puts a bunch of people off. So I'm exercising restraint. That's between God and I, whether or not that's the right thing to do in this moment. But I would encourage you, when you consider communicating, when you consider sharing your opinion with other people, you should be asking, do I have to? Should I speak up in this moment? Or would it be wise and prudent to be careful that I not share in this moment? King Solomon in Proverbs, he puts it like this. He has a lot to say about communication. I'll, I'll, I'll show a couple verses to you. But in Proverbs chapter 10, he puts it like this. This is verse 19. Sin, <clears throat> sin is not ended by multiplying words. Another way that it's translated in other versions, it actually says, where words are plentiful, transgression is present. Where there are a lot of words, there's this, this tendency for sin to be there as well. It goes on to say, but the prudent, the wise, they hold their tongue. So if we just want to multiply words, here's what we can expect to have happen. There's going to be sin that accompanies that. But if we want to be wise, we can be careful with whether, whether or not we're going to speak into the subject. And that, that requires humility. You, you have to say, look, may, maybe I don't know everything. Maybe I'm not an expert on these issues right now. So I'm just going to 
sit back a little bit, listen more, learn more before I would offer my voice to the discussion. Let's be careful with the way that we speak. Let's also be careful with our emotions. We need to be paying attention to what's going on on the interior. What are the things right now that are aggravating to you? What are the things right now that are, that are causing you to kind of go through this emotional roller coaster ride? What are the things that are making you angry? We need to identify those so that we can pay close attention to our hearts. We need to be careful with our emotions. I'll say more about that in a moment. But this is telling us that Christians have the ability to communicate in a way that reflects God's character. We need to be people who have that relational skill. But not only is James telling us that there's a relational skill for Christians to have, it also reveals a spiritual reality. The way that we communicate with other image bearers actually reflects whether or not we know God as we should. I preached through the book of James with the youth group probably 10 years ago. Um, I've never gone this slow. I've never looked at one or two verses at a time. It's forcing me to notice things that I would never, never have noticed before. But one of the things that I'm noticing is that through this entire chapter, James is really stringing together a few different prominent ideas. And he's showing us that there's kind of this inner conflict because there are two different ways to approach the world. You can approach the world as a believer, uh, being born again by the word of truth, verse 18, being made alive to God and then following God. And it talks about it with these kinds of terms, with endurance and perseverance of faith. And that actually results in maturity and life. And then he contrasts that with this opposite way of living. And it's this desire that's resident in us. And this desire is enticing us and dragging us away and causing us to sin and giving birth to death. And so he's kind of painting this picture. You, you actually have to choose how you're going to live. Are you going to walk in the way of the word, being born again and following with faith and endurance and perseverance? Or are you going to give way to your desires that lead to sin, that lead to death? You have a choice here. And so when we talk about how we communicate with other people, James isn't simply saying, guys, be good at communicating. No, he's saying your communication reveals something about your heart. If you claim to be a believer and that your relationship with God is healthy, but you're not doing this, it's actually telling you something about your relationship with God. It's not how it should be. To be relationally at odds with fellow image bearers and to be angry and to be hostile and those sorts of things, it it actually reveals that your relationship with God isn't what it should be. Um, God's character helps us to understand why we communicate this way. So I guess what I'm saying is I don't care if you're an elder. I don't care if you have been a Christian for a long, long time. Um, I don't care if you would consider yourself very, very spiritually mature If you're perpetually angry, that's a problem. If you're always irritated and just on the the verge of erupting because there's so much going on in the world that's wrong, I think that that's telling of what's going on between you and God. You have lost that connectedness with who God is and what he's done for you. God's character, I mean, one of the most beautiful places in the Bible, you're, you're probably somewhat familiar with it, but 
there's a, there's a place in Exodus 33 and 34. Moses, you know, famous Moses talking to God and he's saying, God, teach me your ways. I just want to know more of you so that I could have your favor and lead these people that you've given to me, lead your people. He's kind of asking God for some pretty incredible prayer requests. And he says, show me your glory. And God says, uh, sorry, dude, I can't do that. If I were to do that, you'd be smoked. But here's what I'll do. I'll put you in the cleft of a rock. I'll cover you with my hand and I'll allow my goodness to go by you. And so in Exodus chapter 34, God does that, puts Moses in that rock. He passes by him and God declares his name. That's a really fascinating thing. I'm going to show it to you on the screens, but in Exodus 34, he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Does that sound familiar? The character of God is really what inspires our communication to look like what James is saying. Because God is the kind of God who is compassionate and gracious, abounding in love. What does that mean? It means that when he deals with people, he's looking at us and he's empathetic. Like he's looking at us and he's understanding, he's listening to us. He, he's not trigger happy. He's not this angry God who's just waiting for you to screw up so he can, you know, punish you. He, at the base of who he is, he reveals himself to be compassionate, gracious, abounding in love, maintaining love to generations. Now I'm not minimizing sin because it does say that he's able to punish as well, that he punishes the wicked. He leaves, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. But the core of who God is, is this beautiful character. And he's asking us then as representatives of, of him to allow our communication to begin to reflect that, that beauty and that goodness. And so we need to be careful about how we deal with people. I love uh, the book called Gilead. It's a story of a, a pastor in a really obscure place and has a buddy who's another pastor and, and uh, it's, you know, a, a story and one of the things that the pastor says in this book by Marilyn Robinson uh, is so, so good. And it's just a way for us to think about how we communicate with other people. And it says, this is um, from the book. It says, how do you tell a scribe from a prophet? And he's using the word scribe in a derogatory way. How do you tell somebody who's just kind of an angry religious person versus a prophet? And he says, the prophets, here's how you can tell the difference difference. The prophets love the people they chastise. They're willing to speak up on behalf of truth. They're willing to kind of put themselves forward and even experience harm on account of that because of their faithfulness to God. They're willing to communicate, but they're doing it out of love, out of concern. So my question for us is, I know we have a lot of truth to share as believers, and we've got opinions about things that are going on right now, but are we loving of those who disagree with us? We need to take note and communicate in a way that is pleasing to God. Now, here's why. Human anger won't accomplish what we think it will. Look at verse 20. It's telling us this reality. It's saying, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Your anger is not going to accomplish what you think it is accomplishing. When you are telling people how they ought to think or how they ought to behave and you're frustrated by it and you're speaking your mind and you're just passionately sharing it and you're, you're, 
if you're you know, paying attention, you begin to realize, oh, there's some, there's some bitterness in there. There's some anger in there. And we think that we're doing such a great service to truth. I'm a truth teller and I'm telling people, I'm, I'm just telling them how it is. But this is reminding us human anger will not accomplish what you think it will accomplish. It cannot, it does not produce the righteousness that God desires. I've met very few people who have the skill set of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is able to be angry without sinning, who is able to have a, a, a righteous anger, a calculated, careful anger. When he goes to the temple and he sees things are not the way that they should be, and he deliberately kind of takes action, he overturns tables, but he's, he's angry about sin, but he's not sinning. Most of the people that I deal with don't have that skill set. When they get angry, they get good and angry. There, there is sin in that anger. And so we need to be careful that we're not the kind of trigger-happy Christians who find fault in our world and quickly allow those feelings in us to bubble to the surface. Proverbs 29:22 puts it like this. It says, an angry person stirs up conflict and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. If right now you just feel like you're on the verge of snapping because what you're finding in the world is so frustrating to you, and you're just feeling the, this angst, pay attention because human anger will do harm. Proverbs 16, 32 says, better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. The Bible all over the place is just reminding us. We need to be careful with how we feel because if we allow for our feelings to go unchecked, sin could multiply. We could, we could do great harm. So it would be better to be patient. It would be better to be slow to speak. It would be better to be slow to anger, um, to give ourselves timeouts. Say, I'm feeling pretty, my feelings are big right now. That's something my daughter was teaching me. She's like, do you have big feelings? Yeah, my feelings are huge right now. Well, give yourself a timeout until you can get those feelings back in check. John Newton, he's a famous hymn writer. You know him from one of the most famous hymns, but he wrote this, he wrote a bunch of letters and one of them is called On Controversy. And he's writing to, I believe it was a fellow pastor, um, but he was, he was talking about conflict and controversy. And he says a lot of incredible things in that little letter. But one of the things that he points out is that controversy really doesn't do anybody much good. It doesn't, just like James is saying, it doesn't produce the righteousness that we think it will. When we get into controversy, usually it does more harm to everybody involved. So he puts it like this. He says, we hold our adversaries to ridicule and we flatter ourselves. We look at somebody who's different than us, who thinks different than us, and we hold them to ridicule. Meaning we look down on them and, and, and we despise how they think, how they act, how they behave. We ridicule them and then we flatter ourselves. Church fam, who's getting hurt when that happens? Everybody. But you're getting hurt. If, if you're engaged in controversy in that sort of way and you're, you're treating an adversary with contempt, that's not okay. And you might begin to slander them and speak ill of them and, and do damage to their reputation. You, you might begin to develop in you this hostility toward them, this hatred toward them. 
But then if you're flattering yourself, you're doing great harm to you. Because when you're flattering yourself, what are you doing? You're stoking your pride. You're telling yourself why, why you are so righteous and they are so wrong. It's hurting everybody. So controversy is something that does very little good. So be careful about your human anger because it does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So what do we do then? Because many of us are angry right now. You're looking at me like, okay, dude, I don't like this message. I don't like you. What do we do about this, okay? It tells us here and in other places in the Bible that we need to do this practice that, to simplify it, you, you need to take something off and put something on. Okay, you need to take something off and then put something on. Here's what James is doing. He's saying you actually have to embrace this new way of life, this implanted word that's in you, this new life that's given you birth, verse 14, this choice that you have to walk by faith and endurance and perseverance and to become mature. You have to put off the old way and put on this new way. So let's look at it. First, the taking off, verse 21. It says, therefore, get rid of of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. What is this saying? It's saying, okay, God is identifying something in you that he looks at as reprehensible. He looks at that and the way that you deal with other people made in his image, the hatred that you display, and he says that is evil. That needs to go away. You got to take that off. Um, I've been doing some yard projects, and so my yard is a mess right now. And Harrison loves it because uh, there's holes and dirt and all this different stuff. And so my, he's out there playing while I'm working. And he, um, he had his nice shorts on yesterday. So he's wearing his nice shorts and he gets down into a hole and he's kind of digging and doing this stuff. And um, we were using heavy equipment. He doesn't like loud noises. And so um, we're doing some stuff. And then he comes up to me and he's like, hey, dad, look at this. He took dirt and he made earplugs. So he, couldn't, so he wouldn't hear the, uh, the loud machinery. So he's filthy. And he's wearing his nice shorts, and Ash is like, bud, you can't wear these out here. And so we got to take them off. You know, we're going to go to the neighbor's house. You can't just show up looking like this. And he's like, no, I don't want to take them off. And the, the thing is, that's what God is saying to some of us. He's looking at us, and he's going, there's something that I am, by my spirit, showing to you. I'm revealing... Look at, look at you, okay? This needs to change. And a lot of us go, no, I don't want to. I like these shorts. I picked them out. I like being angry. I like saying things to other people who disagree. But God is saying, no, 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 we got to take this off. And you can't just put shorts on top of these dirty shorts. You can't just onboard something without offloading something. You, you have to take off these filthy garments so that you could put on what God is intending to give you today. So what we need to do then, if by the Spirit God is revealing in you something that he's saying, I want to deal with this today, you need to confess it. You need to own it. You need to recognize that this hatred that I'm harboring, that's not okay. That's not in step with the Spirit of God, and I'm going to take this thing off. I'm going to get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. And what have we found in the book of James? The evil isn't some exterior contaminant that we just keep finding ourselves in. No, the evil keeps coming from within. It's the desires that are in us. And so we need to be able to own that and say, okay, God, you're showing me something today. 
I want to take that off. I want to put that off so that I might put on something much better. Let's look at it. The end of verse 21, humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save. Here's what we're putting on then. We are putting on the new life. We're putting on this beautiful reality of the good news of the gospel. We're humbly accepting what God has done. We're, we're humbly receiving from him this word that's planted in us. That word, again, if you kind of look back up in verse 18, it's the word of truth that gives us new birth. It's the word of truth that causes us to come to spiritual life. It's the word of God's promise in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's the scriptures, but not just the ink on the pages. It's the point of the Bible, which is the person and work of Jesus Christ. This word is renewing us. It made us new, but now it's renewing us. So we need to be the kind of people who humbly accept the word planted in us, which can save. So here's the point. The gospel that saves you is the same gospel that is saving you. The gospel that you believe on, the person of Jesus Christ and what he did at Calvary and his resurrection and what that means for you. When you believe in that, that's the saving reality. When you trust in Christ for your salvation, that good news, that gospel that saves you is the same gospel that is saving you. We need to be people who are humbly again receiving the work of Jesus Christ, his his compassion, his graciousness, his love for other people, his ability to do exactly what James is talking about when dealing with other people. What did he do? He silently went to the cross to die for his enemies. He loved us enough that he was willing to go to Calvary while we were still enemies, and he didn't gripe about it. It actually tells us, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and now is seated at the right hand of the Father. Hebrews 12. We need to be people who believe in him and then who allow that belief to become the thing that we just keep putting on the gospel changing us, making us more patient, more kind, more compassionate, more understanding, so that our communication reveals the beauty of God's own character. And listen, friends, if we do that, if we become individual Christians who are doing that, and if we become a community that that's just normal, that's how we talk around here, people are safe around here. They can, they can be totally honest and we'll love them and meet them where they're at. And we're going to listen to them and we're going to uh, allow them to speak. And we're going to be slow to anger. If we do that, the church will be magnetic. People will flock to that sort of community. And I'm inviting you to be a part of that with me. So let's, let's bow right now. Let's ask for God's help. And, uh, Let's pray that he can make us those sorts of people as we humbly accept the word planted in us, which saves. Lord, I ask right now, knowing that there are people who maybe are watching online or even here in the garden who have not placed their faith in Christ yet. And I pray that by your spirit, you would help them to see how incredible the Lord truly is. And how much of a reality that news is good news. And I pray that they would place their faith in him, that they would humbly accept him as Lord and Savior and experience new birth. 
And God, for all of us who've made that decision, I'm praying that you would help us to reflect that. Your character, your goodness. And let it show up in the way that we deal with other people. Even people that we disagree with, Lord, we want to do even that in a way that reveals the beauty of the gospel. Amen.